and welcome to episode 34 of the BMcast. Not a podcast that compares Strixhaven with another magical school that didn't create the genre and was created by a truly horrible person, but the show about playing Magic the Gathering on a budget. I am Scott, and I'm joined by the giver of runes herself, Emma. How are you doing this week? I am doing good. I've been pretty busy because got a new job I'm mm. self-employed now so it means I have to set up a little office so with that I've been cleaning and tidying and building furniture buying new kit and it's it's exciting in the sense that it's a new job but it's also just yeah. really boring because it's very adult focused and if people who know me I'm a bit of a big kid so you know <laughs> contrast is quite important with that I haven't been able to play a huge amount of magic but I did manage to play mm-hmm. some Caldheim sealed with my good friend Dan over webcam so we, we got nice. some pre-release kits and we uh, jammed some games. With Sweet. that, my sealed pool was pretty nuts. For some reason, every time I, p- I play like a pre-release, I always get like the nuts sort of limited bombs, ah. apparently. So you're always one of my opponents. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. so like in Theros, <laughs> I, got, I got Dream Trawler. In Ixalan, I got Tetsamok. In Rivals of Ixalan, I got Profane Possession, which was also quite good. And it's just oh, apparently right. it's just an ongoing thing for me. So mm. with my list, I built a Saltai Splash Red deck because because there's so much good fixing for all the snow. Yeah. So you can play like four or five colours quite easily. Mm. So it had Tigrid, which is the discard god, the one that's really oh, yeah. obnoxious in Commander. And then you've got like Immerstone Predator, which is just a really good sack outlet that gets stronger and it's indestructible so people can't kill it. I also have Masswick Nexus, which is the one that makes changing tokens, the artifact. You tap it yeah. and you make a 2 yeah, I uh, had that as well, and it was really, really good. And I won all the marbles, unsurprisingly. So, yeah, that's nice. I've had a couple of games of that, and that was fun. Initial thoughts on Caldheim, it seems really, really slow, which is what I was not expecting, I guess. Mm. I guess I was kind of hoping it was like Ixalan in the sense that it's very tribal and very aggressive, but this is really slow and grindy. So if you like playing mm. piles of mid-range cards, then the format's for you. So. <laughs> nice. um, but yeah, that's, that's pretty much it for me. From me, how about you? How have you been? I've been I've been all right, yeah, doing good. I am once again back on my nonsense, building another budget modern deck. So I was talking about <laughs> how I was building Mono Red Bird and how I might be a burn player and all that stuff last week. Mm. But I'm changing tack slightly and I'm changing it into Incinerator Burn, which is one that we actually talked about mm. back on was it our hundred dollar modern color challenge? Yes, Maybe, it was yeah, a red our one. episode was that it? Yeah, <laughs> on that. So I'm putting that together because. I play against an awful lot of Titan and Death Shadow in the metagame of the Irish Magic Discord server that I play in every week. Mm. So Incinerator's really good there because like you can trade with a Titan, you can't be pushed or dismembered, and it's just really, really easy to get out early, as we explained mm. in that previous episode. You can get it out on turn two fairly regularly and turn three almost guaranteed. It's really, really good. But yeah, I'm looking forward to playing with that and seeing if I can uh, take down some Titans with it. That'd be nice. Nice. But... In my article this week, I'm highlighting the five best mono-blue commanders for those that are on a budget. So I'll be going into five different strategies as well. So there's stuff from Spellslinger to Artifact Toolbox and even Infect. So if any of that sounds good, you can read that now over in Card Kingdom. And then outside of Magic, I am still playing through the Soulsborne series. I'm going through Dark Souls 3 now for probably the 10th time, but still... So, as I mentioned it before and last week and stuff, my good friend Luke and I have been playing through this whole series. We do this every so often, every few months or something, or every year and a half thereabouts. We're like, oh, we'll pick up Souls again, you know. And we finished Dark Souls 2 last week, and now in 3, I'm going for a build that I've never tried before, which is a sorcerer. So they just use Ooh, all the all okay. the spells. And yeah. there's little to no melee, for the most part. And it's pretty much all spell-based, so you have to manage like a mana system, essentially, as well. Mm-hmm. It's super, super hard for me because I'm usually at the front line just cleaving faces clean off of people. That's what I do. I'm like, I've got no time for this nonsense. I'm just getting in there, like take the ankles out of these gods that I'm fighting. And, yeah, yeah, that's that's my jam. Yeah. Uh, standing back and being like, oh, hold on a second. I'm just going to go invisible and then I'm just going to pew, pew, pew you a little <laughs> bit. No, like not my business at all. I've tried I've tried a couple of Pyromancer builds in like the older mm. Dark Souls games because they're quite good. They're like, if yeah. you want to blitz through it, they're like the best builds to be. But yeah, I'm like you. I just normally like getting the biggest sword I can possibly get and just yeet people with it. That's, yeah. that's the way. Fun fact about the Pyromancer build in Dark Souls 1 is... The only build that you can do for a soul level one run, so you don't level up at mm. all, and mm. that is the only soul level one run that I have ever completed, is oh, a Pyromancer wow, in Dark Souls 1, and 
<laughs> no, no, it was such a bad idea. <laughs> such a bad idea. It took so long and it was so painful. But it's like it's a labour of love. Yeah, more of a labour of hate. But similarly, <laughs> strange thing that is kind of in common with the Soul of a One run from Dark Souls One and the Sorcerer in Dark Souls Three is I'm learning a new skill and that is how to deal with dying an awful lot. So <laughs> yeah, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Nice. But souls games aside i do want to point out something and that is that as of recording this would have been last night but some of you may have caught our first ever bmcast live stream over on twitch it was saturday because we record on sunday and angelo guerrera aka the jess guy on twitter was on with us and we talked crap for like four hours it was was kind of like this intro except for four hours long (laughs) and and a lot of people joined us as well, which was great. Yeah, it was it was significantly more successful and enjoyable than I expected it to be. It was kind of like a fireside chat where we sat around with a drink or two and just talked nonsense about magic, about the difference between life in England or Ireland or America and just all sorts of stuff. And yeah. it was so good. I think we might actually do it somewhat regularly, possibly. I did, I did have someone DM me this morning going, oh, hey, you know, I really enjoyed the stream last night. When are you doing another one? So by that mm-hmm. obligation, I think we have to do another one at some point. Oh, it's basically a requirement now, right? Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's law, apparently. So. <laughs> so that's enough of me talking crap about me and my life. Uh, Emma, have we got any housekeeping? <laughs> we do. Uh, we would like to give a huge thank you to Tom Telford for being the latest member of our Stonks tier. So thanks a bunch, Tom, and enjoy the Stonks. Thank you very much, Tom. Tom is actually from the Irish Magic Discord server. and How much of our patrons is just the Irish Magic Discord? <laughs> I'm starting to wonder. Over or under on 40%? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Tom also gave me a beautiful, um, as some people might know when they're hearing this, uh, here's me talking about my life again. I found out reasonably recently that I can't eat stuff with gluten without getting horrible, horrible summer cramps. So... Mm. I haven't been able to enjoy most normal things like bread or biscuits or cakes or whatever. And Tom sent me a recipe for a flourless chocolate cake. So I'm looking forward to building Ooh. that. Building that? Bil- <laughs> I'm going to build a cake. Yeah. That's got to stay in. Baking so a cake. Yeah. Okay. This is, this is early Scott telling editor Scott, don't cut this bit out. Okay. Yeah. All right. If you enjoy the BM cast and would like to support them, you can become a patron for as little as $3. You'll get access to all of the notes and deck lists they use on the show. And their $7 tier gives you VIP access to the greatest budget resources of any magic podcast. So what are you waiting for? Visit patreon.com forward slash budget magic cast to level up your game and get your stonks on. Okay, so... Before we jump into the meat and bones of the episode, despite the fact that we're nearly 10 minutes in, which is an absolute travesty as far as we're right, concerned, right. We, we, always, we always slag off those podcasts that take like 20 minutes to get into an episode. We've lived long enough to become the bad guy. Yeah. So, <laughs> but before we jump in, I want to talk about a card of the week, and it was inspired by a game of Commander that I played yesterday. I put together my Talrand Sky Summoner deck again. Except I didn't really follow the exact list. I kind of just took the cards I could find and just jammed them together. Mm. It was like, ah, close enough. And I put this card in thinking it might be interesting. And then when I played with it, it absolutely wrecked. And that is Confounding Conundrum. So it's a 20-cent card from Zendikar Rising. If you can't remember what it does, I don't blame you. It's one and a blue. It's an enchantment. When it enters the battlefield, draw a card. But then whenever a land enters the battlefield under an opponent's control... If that player had another land enter the battlefield under their control this turn, they return a land they control to their owner's hand. So this is excellent at punishing green ramping commander, first of all. Cultivate is now a dead card, effectively. Mm-hmm. It turns off fetches in modern, or makes them fetch on your turn. It absolutely destroys amulet and titan strategies in modern. It replaces itself on Enter the Battlefield. It can be flickered with Yorion and Brago and stuff as well. And a neat little trick that I learned is that you can field of ruin someone after they've made a land drop in their turn and force them to bounce a land back to their hand. That's gross. And it's hilarious and fantastic. And for 20 cents, it is absolutely worth it. In fact, the full art version of it is a dollar. So if you want to get some, oh, wow. some fancy stonks, uh, you, can, you can get that too. Get that budget bling. Mm-hmm. So now that I'm finally finished talking crap, let's talk about... Our Modern Highlights episode. We are talking about death and taxes. Emma, give us a little rundown on what death and taxes is and how to play it. 
Right, so death and taxes has been a strategy in modern for since the birth of the format, I want to say, just because it's a popular deck in Legacy and a lot of decks in Modern are inspired by the ones in Legacy. What we're talking about with Deck and Taxes is that it's an aggressive, disruptive strategy. Mm. All you care really about doing is gaining incremental advantage throughout the game and by you, by making creative and very unintuitive plays. It can be a difficult deck to play because there's a lot of nuances and fine lines. You don't really get, like, nut hands or, like, turn to someone. You don't get, like, these god hands or these cards that go, oh, yeah, I win the game on the spot. But what you do get is a load of cards that do lots of little things together. With those little things, you're just looking to make your opponent uncomfortable to the point where they can't do their game plan. You're making them stumble. Eventually, you just become the aggressor, and then you beat with these cards like Farley Guardian of Fraven or Flicker Wisp. And they're all evasive as well, so they're very tricky to deal with. Yeah, like you're not really looking to lock your opponent out. Mm. But one way that I heard it being described as before was you're looking to inconvenience them to death. Yeah, that's pretty much it. It's just it's yeah. just sm- small things that can just stop you from doing something. You, like you have to hold off on a turn because you don't have enough mana to cast your spell because there's a Falia in play or mm-hmm. a Flicker Wisp is taking your land out for the turn so you can't play any more spells it's just really inconvenient but it becomes a point where they can just take advantage of that yeah so while combo decks and stuff might be the opposite of mid-range decks i feel that taxes is like the inverse so instead of gaining incremental advantages you're causing incremental disadvantages and that i think is a key way to to look at the the strategy and how it plays out Hmm. If you are a member of our Patreon, in the show notes, you will have access to three different deck lists. One is going to be a list that we have taken from the modern prelim that was on the 18th of February this year. Mm -hmm. And then there are two other lists as well. One is Emma's Brew that is on a budget and does not involve Aethervile because Aethervile can be quite pricey. And then the other one is with Aethervile. So... If any of those seem interesting to you or you would like to look them up, they are available on any tier over on our Patreon. So, Emma, I do know that there are quite a few different versions of taxes. (laughs) How do you know which one is the right one for you? Like, do they do different things? They all do different things. And one of the best things about Death and Taxes is that it's just incredibly versatile. So you can, mm. if you have like mono white Death and Taxes, for example, and you're just starting out and you're, like, and you're like, you know what, I fancy something different. I don't want to do the same thing every time. It's like, okay, I could go into like blue. I can go into red. I can go into green. You can play Death and Taxes in any color pairing as long as you keep the white. Mm. Um, so let's go through the list, shall we? To begin with, you have mono white Death and Taxes, which is often the default strategy one that promotes the most consistency and the most success because you just got planes. It's very, very simple. Mm. It's a simple curve. Um, you've got this streamlined mana base and your threat density remains the same. Important to note that most death and taxes lists are mostly white. You are splashing the second color lightly. Yeah. So Azorius death and taxes is another popular one. And um, this mm. often uses a spirit sub theme. It can be seen as Azorius spirits as well to some extent because you run stuff like Spell Queller and Selfless Spirit. Mm. And you can sometimes run like Supreme Phantom as well. It's more tempo focused rather than mm. disruptive compared to Mono White. Then you have Orzov Death of Taxes, which is like the white black variant. Um, yeah. It's another popular strategy. It uses stuff like Tide Hollow Scholar just to take cards out of people's hands. Um, it also can use stuff like Eldrazi, so you see stuff like Wasteland Strangler, Fortnite Seer, Reality Smasher. It's one that you're quite familiar with, aren't you, Scott? I played, a lot. I played it a lot before, and it was so much fun. Yeah. Love it. Also, Wasteland Strangler could be good now, because it can eat up Fatal cards, it can eat up Suspend cards. Might be a good option in the future. Um, yeah. And then you have Selesnia Death and Taxes, which is more commonly known as Hate Bears. It's a fairly old version of Taxes. It was in the early days of Modern. It cares about value and outgrounding the opponent. It can be quite expensive because you have stuff like Horizon Canopy and Noble Hierarch. But you yeah. do have stuff like Bells of Paradise, you run stuff like Gaddock Teague, and you can run like a couple of Eternal Witnesses for value as well. Um, mm-hmm. You also have Voice of Resurgence, which is a, as a uh, card of, of Modern's Past as well, which also saw mm-hmm. quite a lot of play in those decks. And then finally, you have Boris Death and Taxes. Um, it's, this is the least popular one, but it can be quite fun because you are attacking the mana base more so than the other strategies. Mm. You use stuff like Magus of the Moon, you use Ajani Vengeant just to blow up lands. You can use stuff like Boom Bust as well with Flagstone to Trochir. It's yeah. all about mana advantage with this one. 
And plus, you, yeah. you also have access to stuff like Lightning Bolt, which is also quite nice. Yeah. Unfortunately, it doesn't play super nice with Thalia and everything, but... No. You know, still still take a lightning it, strike sometimes, if you need it. Yeah, this is it. If you really want to go ham on the mana base on your opponents, just play the Boris version, because Johnny Avenger is quite fun, especially when you get to Ultimate. Mm. So, with that, there are a couple of key cards, and these are the ones that you are likely to see in basically any variation of taxes that you come across. And the first one, one of the most obvious ones, is Thalia, Guardian of Thriven. The one and a white, two, one, legendary human. And they have first strike and non-creature spells cost one more to cast. This is the quintessential death and taxes creature for me. Yeah, you don't run death and taxes without running four of these. Like, it's yeah. it's so important to the list. More often than not, people will just remove it straight away just because it's just so back-breaking. And plus it mm. can just trade up because it has first strike. It's a very, very awkward threat. Yeah. Absolutely. And hand in hand with Talia is mm. Leon and Arbiter. The two yes. of those, if you put the two of those down and then you start ghost quartering people, you can pretty much lock people out of the game. I know I said earlier yeah. you more inconvenience them to death, but turns out four power attacking per turn plus you can't cast spells basically ever is a, yeah. is a pretty good combination. And with Leon and Arbiter having the, the tax to search as well, it makes fetch lands really bad as well, or yeah. any kind of search for that matter. These are two of the most like important creatures in the deck. I think there's a third one as well, which we'll talk about in a minute. Mm-hmm. But yeah, when you think about death and taxes, these are the two cards that make the deck and you always want to run four and never cut them in any case because it's just so important to the strategy. Yeah. And then, yes, that other creature that you were talking about is the newest edition, which is Skyclave Apparition from Zendikar Rising. So they're really, really good. Like People looked at this when it first came out and went, mm, this is pretty good, I guess. And absolutely blew people's expectations right out of the water. This is it. And a lot of old Death and Taxes lists ran stuff like Fiend Hunter as just a way mm. to get rid of threats just so they can get through and push damage. What makes Skyclave Apparition so good? Because it gets rid of the threat permanently. Like, the token mm. is, like, fine in a lot of cases, right? Yeah. And it's an inexpensive creature. It's a powerful effect. And it's probably become one of the best creatures to play in modern. Just, you know, it goes in a lot of decks. Yeah. And it's even better in Death and Taxes because you can use an Aether Vial to Vial it in, which is another important card in the strategy. So with Aether Vial, it gives you the ability to pay your threats at instant speed. And you can play two creatures in, in a turn as well. So mm. it gives you that flexibility. Um, Death and Taxes can be quite reactive so it's all on what yeah. the opponent does and having that ability just to go oh yeah by the way in response to cracking your fetch I'm going to play a and Arbiter carry on like it's, yeah. it's just so good the value is absurd <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah they're the they're the, the key cards Thalia Leon and Arbiter Skyclave Apparition Aether Vial once you have those in your deck and you build everything else around it you'll, you'll do perfectly fine you know yeah. But with that said, they are the best cards in the deck, for the most part. There are some cards to be aware of. And Lightning Bolt, Fatal Push, these are more placeholders for removal in general, I suppose. Yes. You don't like removal. Yeah, considering Modern is on an axis of Path to Exile, Lightning Bolt and Fatal Push, you can get blown out by removal a fair bit. Because mm. your creatures are also low mana, they're also low power and toughness. They're mostly like X2s or X1s or even X3s. Um, and yep. these get all eaten up by those removal spells. So just knowing when to play around it and just read, you know, read the mana base a bit. Like if they have a red or a black open, they probably have a removal spell of some kind. And you can use like your ghost quarters to get rid of it as well. Mm. So you've got ways to attack it. Yep. And similarly to that, for the most part, board wipes are pretty bad to come across. Mm. Yes. Because you don't really have much in the way of protection spells outside of giver runes. Mm. And even then that's fairly tricky because you're still losing quite a lot of your threats and when you lose your threats you're losing the disruption and when there's no disruption your opponent can do the thing that they want to do which is something we don't want so yeah stuff like damnation wrath of god and anger of gods are all pretty bad engineered explosives a bit of a blowout as well because it can mm. take out your aether vial which you need to carry out your game plan so. yeah there's one little thing that i'm going to put in here because you mentioned anger of the gods and this should technically mm. probably be in the tips and tricks section but i'll throw it in anyway and that is my cyborg tech, well, when I say it's my cyborg tech, I didn't invent it, I just used it a lot, was uh, Burnt and Forge Tender is yeah. excellent against Anger of the Gods because it's pro-red in and of itself, but it can sacrifice itself to prevent damage from any one red source. So if your opponent yeah. goes Anger of the Gods and you go, well, in response, sacrifice Burnt and Forge Tender or Violet in, then sacrifice it, mm. prevent damage from Anger of the Gods, that one that you're casting right now, it means that it won't actually kill any of your creatures because it won't deal damage. Yeah. So that's nice. But yes. I digress. 
Finally, one of my least favourite cards to see when I'm playing Taxes. <laughs> oh God, Torpor Orb. Mm, yeah. So if you don't know what Torpor Orb does, it's a two-mana artifact. Um, basically says, uh, enter, the ba- enter the battlefield abilities on creatures just don't happen. Um, and considering Death and Taxes cares about ETBs, mm. like you have stuff like Flickerwhisk, Skyclave Apparition, and even Stoneforge Mystic, Torpor Orb just shuts off half your deck and it is very frustrating yeah. to get around. In most main board situations, you don't have a way to deal with it. So mm. it's important to have some artifact removal, which we'll talk about in the sideboard in a little bit. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's really, really bad. Like It just hoses the deck. And it's in most cases, you just become an aggressive deck because you just can't value people. So you just have to turn sideways. <laughs> yeah. I just thought of something. If Panharmonicon doubles up Enter the Battlefield triggers, is Torpor Orb more accurately named as Nonharmonicon? Yes, let's call it that from now okay. on. Like Sounds that. good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So moving on from the bad cards, let's talk about the good matchups. So what would be an example of a good matchup if you were to pick up and play Death and Taxes? So this one hurts me a bit because I'm a, I enjoy this deck as well. Is The Tron matchup is super good if you're on Death and Taxes. Um, and this is because Tron likes to do the turn three Khan or the turn four Ugin. If you have like Falias in play, that Khan becomes a turn four or a turn five, yeah. which is more than enough for you to just establish the board and you know start chipping in damage. Also, you're making those expedition maps. Chromatic spheres and chromatic stars cost one more. Those ancient stirrings aren't looking too hot either. Mm. It just really, really helps you just put a foot in in the game. Also, because you run stuff like Field of Rune and Ghost Quarter, you can attack the Tron lands quite aggressively and just take them off Tron altogether. And also, Tron runs very few basic lands, so at some point it will become a wasteland instead of just, you know, a Ghost Quarter, which feels great in a lot of cases. Yeah, absolutely. It is worth noting, though, that as with all matchups against Tron, you need to be able to follow this disruption up with aggression. So if your hand is all taxes and no death, consider mulliganing. Yeah. You you need to still kill them quickly, regardless. But it is mm-hmm. favored for you for sure. Absolutely. Similarly, storm, land of Thalia, win the game. That's that's how. Yeah, it works. It's, it's it's so simple, right? It's just you know Thalia, <laughs> Archon of Emiria, just really good yeah. here. It's it's not really much else to say. I don't think as a storm player, right, Scott? Yeah, that's it. Just find a way to protect your Thalia, and that's it. That's all you mm-hmm. need to do. Turn one, give her runes. <laughs> turn two, Thalia, win the game. Like that's it. Yeah. Two card combo. Yep. <laughs> another one that is pretty good is control yeah so it's in a similar vein to storm it's just you're making your opponent's counter spells cost more thanks to Falia. Um you can attack the mana base with ghost court and flicker wisp because they often will run like a couple of man lands or mm. they lean heavy on blue so you can always take them off like a cryptic command mana for example if they have like four blue up and you can just take them off one of the blue manners. Also, Aethervile is really good at circumventing any counter magic as well, allowing you just to make sure those threats stick on the battlefield as well. Yeah, that's it. And then finally, another example of a good matchup is Death Shadow, because, well, this is one of those matchups where both Thalia and Leon and Arbiter are really, really good. And generally speaking, mm. if one of those cards is good in a matchup, it is a reasonably good matchup. If both cards are good in the matchup, it's a very good matchup, for the most part. And mm. Talia and Leonard Arbiter are extremely good here because they run very few lands in order to try and maximize what they can do. And they also run basically all one drop spells. So if you suddenly make it so that they have access to fewer lands and also make their spells cost more, suddenly their deck is absolutely terrible. It's unplayable. Mm. Now, it's worth noting that the Grixis matchups are likely better than the Rakdos ones that are coming up now because... The Rakdos ones have more relevant disruption. You know, they're not, they don't have dead stubborn denials in hand. They have more thought mm-hmm. seizes and that kind of thing. And they also have more dangerous threats, particularly in the form of Scourge of the Skyclaves is now Death Shadows 5 to 8. So worth keeping yes. an eye out for those. And then we're going to go on to bad matchups. And when the good matchups are good, they are really, really good. But when the bad matchups are bad, oh, they are bad. horrendous. Oh, real bad. Yep. So any sort of creature tribal aggressive deck is a really mm. is mostly a bad matchup. So stuff like elves, stuff like humans, even stuff like merfolk is a bit of an issue as well because Farley yeah. just doesn't do anything against those decks. That's and it. a lot of their combinations are creature focused, and you just can't interact with it. You're not you don't run enough removal either to even like disrupt it in any way. 
And plus, humans is just mm. so quick out of the gates. It's just very hard to keep up. You're almost on the back foot from the start. It's it's not a good matchup. I think that's probably one of the worst matchups as a death and taxes player is playing against humans. Yeah. Again, all you have to do to figure out if a matchup is good or bad is look at Talia and Leon and Arbiter, and in the case mm. of elves, merfolk and humans, both of them are bad, so you're probably going to have a terrible time. Yeah. And same goes for Dredge as well. That's also a pretty poor matchup for similar reasoning. Mm. Since the Prince and Creeping Chill has made it more awkward because they just have more ways to gain life, Conflagrate can just wipe out your board because your creatures are so low toughness, yep. they can just chip off everything. And the fact that the threats are recursive, so they can just block for days. Um, however, your game two and three does get better because you have stuff like Rest in Peace in the sideboard, but it is still yep. pretty tough. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty pretty hard to beat, all right. When Dredge was prevalent when I was playing Eldrazian Taxes, I ran one Saddle the Wreckage in the sideboard. Ooh, very nice. I do mm. like that card. Yeah. And then another example of a bad matchup would be something like Jund. And the reason for this is because they're looking to one for one or two for one as much as possible and then win with a couple of large threats. And it's another one of those kind of decks where Talia isn't great, Leon and Arbiter isn't great. Like it does impact them to some degree because they have, say, fetches and they have non-creature spells, but they don't mind waiting a turn or two because all of their cards are pound for pound more powerful than yours. Yep, and they've got stuff like Thoughtseize and Inquisition, which can just tear apart like the cards that they care about the most. And then yeah. stuff like Bloodbraid Elf into like Colligan's Command or Removal Spell is a, it's just backbreaking because it's just a huge two for one and it's very, very, very difficult, as yeah. I found previously. So. Absolutely. So, yes, it can have some skewed matchups, but when it's good, it's really good. So, sideboarding is extremely important when it comes to death and taxes as well, because, like I said, there are going to be times when Talia is good, or when Leonard Arbiter is good, or when Arkham of Emeria is good, and then there are going to be times when it's bad. So you need to be able mm. to identify which ones are good, when, and which ones are bad, and when, and swap those out for more relevant things in your sideboard. And then also make sure that your sideboard has enough relevant things to actually bring in as well. So it can be a very careful balance, particularly with death and taxes. But we have a couple of the best pieces of sideboard that we can we can suggest for you here yeah it's like a blanket sort of if you're new to death and taxes this is how you should probably start your sideboard until you've yeah. identified what your meta game is and then you can fine tune it because death and taxes mm-hmm. is all about fine tuning so firstly the obvious one is rest in peace you want at least mm-hmm. three copies of this just because you have no other real way to interact with the graveyard and it doesn't hurt you in any way so it's just a free roll a lot of the time and modern attacks on an axis of the graveyard so having rest in peace is just a great tool to have Yep. Another good one is Winds of Abandon, which Mm. is the two mana sorcery speed path from Modern Horizons that you can overload to exile your entire opponent's board, which is fantastic. Really, really good in like those creature matchups or other matchups where you might have to get rid of some threats, say think Death Mm. Shadow, that kind of thing. Just good removal. Yeah. Yep, it's just it's just a couple of extra coffees I have to exile on the sideboard. It's just good for those kind of matchups. Um, yep. Next one is a favourite of mine that I love to always mm. put in my Death and Taxes sideboard is Phyrexian Revoker. It's really good to have this kind of effect, especially when you can Violet in. It's a versatile threat and it can name mana abilities as a part of its Enter the Battlefield ability, which is quite important. It can host some mana dorks and so forth. It's just a, mm. it's a very awkward card. And if you know your, if you know your opponent's deck, like it can be really, really good. Yeah, it's one of those cards that gets more powerful the more you know about the format you're playing in. Yes. Yeah. And we were talking earlier on about Torpor Orb. Another thing that is difficult to deal with is Ensnaring Bridge. And something like Skyclave Apparition won't be reliable enough to be able to take care of both. So you need something Mm. along the lines of Disenchant, where you can just destroy whatever it is. If you want something creature-focused, Leonian Relic Ward is also a good shout. If you want a violin to remove an artifact or enchantment is is another Mm -hmm. option. If you you prefer it that way, but I like to have a couple of copies of Disenchant in the sideboard just... You know, versatility. Agreed, yeah. If you want to be really cheap in terms of mana cost, you can run Fragmentize, because it'll yes. take out anything that's CMC4 or less for one white mana, which is pretty yep. decent too. Yep. And lastly, you want a couple of creatures that have good protection. So when we talk about protection, it's like protection from a colour. Most A lot of white creatures have this, so stuff mm. like Mirian Crusader, Oriok Champion, Core Firewalker... Uh, all excellent, excellent options, depending on your metagame. If there is a load of eggs particular colour in your metagame, you can run these. Um, Oriok Champion's mm. like the default good one at the moment, just because red-black Death Shadows everywhere, and Mono Red's everywhere. Yeah. 
um, but that's quite expensive at the moment. So you can run stuff like Core Firewalker or Burrowton Force Tender um, as alternatives. Another good thing about these creatures is that they wear equipment really well. So a Mirian Crusader mm, with like a sort of yeah. Feast of Famine or a sort of Fire and Ice or even a Maul of the Skyclaves is a really, really good way to go. Yeah, for sure. Pro creatures are one of the best reasons to be in white. And yes. it's not too strange to have up to like five or six pieces of specific color right. hate in the sideboard either, depending on what you're up against. Yep, but because yeah. you're running like the, you're running like the Stoneforge package, so it kind of ma- it, it all lines up. You can kind of build your own progenitus with a Mirian Crusader and a Sword of Fire and Ice, almost. So, yeah. So, with all of that covered for sideboarding, we're gonna give a couple of tips and tricks that we have to help get you started with playing. Because, you know, jumping directly headfirst into a deck can be a little bit daunting if you don't know how it runs, you've never played it before, and you want to play some games with a friend soon. And if you don't, you don't, you don't want to look like you don't know what you're doing. So we have some <laughs> tips and tricks here to make sure that you are going to be able to pick up the deck and pilot it to a reasonable level from the get-go. And one of the first things to do is, more so with this deck than any other deck, is research the other modern strategies that are available. It is critical to death and taxes because you have so many tools to combat other strategies and it often involves specific numbers of types of cards that are put in the main deck or the sideboard and that kind of thing. You need to be able to look up these deck lists and look at different decks and how they play and what new techniques or technology that they're running. You need to be able to tweak and adjust for those and to be prepared for those. And getting you into that kind of mindset in general will just make you a better pilot overall. And this is why I suggested Death and Taxes to most players that are looking to start in Modern. You're going to lose a lot at first. But then you're going to learn all of these little niche interactions and then you'll be able to apply all of these little interactions to other decks when you play them. I really think that that's what made me as good as I am in Modern at the moment. Not that I'm particularly good, but I'm manageable in, uh, in Modern. And it's, I, I genuinely think it's because of Death and Taxes. Yeah, I think Death and Taxes does a really good job of identifying like threat evaluation, like what is the problem mm-hmm. here? What, what do I need to do to deal with this problem? And essentially, it's like Death and Taxes is it's sort of a toolbox deck. It just has all these tools to deal with all these different kind of decks. And it's just knowing which ones to use against the right sort of strategy. And yeah. again, as you said, like you can pass that on to a different deck, even if it's not Death and Taxes. Like you could play like Amulet Titan, for example, or Tron, mm-hmm. and it will all all transfer over. Yep. Another important thing with Death and Taxes is to maximize your Aether Vials. It is one of the most flexible and most powerful spells in your deck. Yep. Something you can do. This might be a bit of a cheap shot, but I do it sometimes. <laughs> like sometimes at the end of like your opponent's turn, for example, you can tap the Aether Vial, um, even though if you have nothing in, put into play just to force your opponent to do something because they think you might have something. Um, it's very similar to like chalice checking. So if, mm. if you have a chalice on one and someone tries to lightning bolt you, you can be like, oh yeah, chalice of the void. Um, it's just a good thing just to keep your opponent on your toes, I find. Mm. Just makes them use their removal prematurely so you can get ahead. Yeah, yeah. And one thing that you can do, you were saying about you know putting people on their toes or whatever by going end yeah. step, activate Aether file, and then doing nothing and just seeing what they do. Sometimes your opponents will be aware of what you're doing yeah. and they will respond or do something or they won't respond and do something or they might even think that you are bluffing them. Yeah. Because if you do that one or two turns in a row, they're going to be like, well, they, they clearly don't have anything. They're just going to do this mm. to keep me on my toes. But what if you do have something? Yeah. What if you do have something and you're purposely not putting it in to make it look like it's a bluff and then mm. they will take a turn and then they'll be like, well, they didn't have that thing because they would have put it in with one of those Aether Vials and then yeah. they go to play something and then you go well activate ether vial put it in like flashing in the open arbiter or something yeah. there are ways to get people like that you know it's, it's a lot of head games that you can play with ether files as well it's pretty mm, cool it's great yeah <laughs> one other thing is field of rune is a forced search so they still have to search their deck and shuffle even if they fail to find it's not like ghost quarter you don't sit there and choose oh i'm not going to search you have to it's not a may so you can shuffle away people's scries or if for some crazy reason they're playing like, I don't know, a God Eternal Oketra or something and they put it like third from the top. You can feel the room them yeah. and, and flush it away or whatever. Yeah, it's just good to have to know that is a forced search and you can be like, actually, you have to do it. It's mm-hmm. part of the card. It's part of the effect. So another thing you can do is, so Flicker Whisper is a very, very versatile card. There's a lot you can do with it and there's a lot of nuances and 
To be honest, it's probably one of the hardest cards to play in Death and Taxes just because of mm. the, the potential of it. So what you can do is A for Violin and Flickerwish during your opponent's end step to remove a target of a threat or a land entirely for the turn. Mm-hmm. One thing I like to do is to use Flicker Wisps against like, the, the opponent's mana base. So a good example is, say, my opponent has Tron. It has all the free pieces. So what I like to do is Violin and Flicker Wisps, take out the Urza's Tower so they are off Tron for the turn and they've mm-hmm. only got like two mana as opposed to the seven. That really hinders them massively because they can't play their threats. Yep. Another good way to do it is, you know, you uh, flick a wisp of battle skull, so you get the gem token back and it attaches, so you don't have to mm-hmm. put it back into your hand and then recast it. It's one of the most versatile cards in the deck, and it does take a while to get used to. Um, you can also use it on your own frets to blank removal mm-hmm. and just blink, like, so blink a skyclave apparition is a good example, so you can exile something else on the field. Yeah, absolutely. Couple of things to actually just add on to there. Um, they were listed as separate uh, tips and tricks, but they seem like nice little opportunities to segue in here uh, because it's all to do with flicker wisp. And that is, if your opponent, for example, pays two to pay for the search for Leon and Arbiter, you can flicker. You can say violin a flicker wisp and flicker the Leon and Arbiter before their search trigger resolves, and they'll have to pay two again because this Arbiter is a new object and their tax hasn't been paid yet, which is a neat little right. trick. Yes, it is very gross. It's fantastic. <laughs> Do it against a Titan player and then feel that salt. <laughs> Another thing as well, you mentioned Skyclave Apparition. When Skyclave Apparition's ETB triggers on the stack, you can violin a Flicker Wisp and flicker it. So not only will this exile the first target and the second one, but it won't actually give them a token for the first one because the leave the battlefield trigger has resolved before the enter the battlefield trigger did, which is very gross as well. So you'll end up with a Skyclave Apparition, a Flicker Wisp, and they're down two things and they have no token. That is yeah. gross. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, another thing about Giver of Runes, which I, th- I notice a lot of people tend to miss out mm. on, is the fact that Giver of Runes can give protection from colourless. Yeah. Um, while it's colourless is not, might not be that important, it does have its uses. So it's really great against Eldrazi. It can block all the Eldrazi that are played in modern. Artifact creatures that are animated off of Khan Great the Creator or, you know, Sundering Titans and so forth. One thing is worth noting, if you do give your creature colourless, it can't use equipment because it would just fall off. So it's just something to keep in mind. But the fact that you can give creatures protection with colourless may be relevant, especially if like a reality smash is coming at you. It's it's a good way to Mm. stem some bleeding. For sure, yep. One thing as well, you were talking about equipment there. Uh, one of the mm-hmm. pieces of equipment that you will see in some of these lists that is not actually colorless is Maul of the Skyclaves. And you can actually use it as a combat trick with Stoneforge Mystic. So before damage, you can activate Stoneforge Mystic to put the Maul into play and equip it for free. And mm-hmm. that will then attach it to whatever creature is unblocked. And it's a good way to like push through an extra few points of damage. Or you can flash it in when someone has made some blocks and turn those into terrible blocks for your opponent and like completely blow out or trade up on a threat or anything there's a number of different things you can do with maul because of the way that it automatically equips which is yeah nice. it's such a good card yeah and lastly if you're playing eldrazi in taxes you can use eldrazi displacer's ability to effectively tap down attackers or blockers since they come in tapped yeah. a lot of eldrazi in taxes plays eldrazi displacer just to get a lot of blinking um mm-hmm. but it's a really really good way just to make attacks and blocks really really awkward by just tapping them down yep that's it now there are quite a few tips and tricks there there are so many for death and taxes it's so so detailed and so in-depth there are tons and tons of resources available online but this is just the tip of the iceberg this is enough to get you winning a couple of games you will probably learn more and more as you go on all you have to do is just sort of keep an eye out for things and a lot of the time you'll learn by making mistakes that's at least how i do it anyway (laughs) i play a couple i play a couple of things i play make a couple of plays and then i get blown out because i did one thing in a specific order instead Mm. of another way or whatever and that's okay it's important to know that in my opinion death and taxes is one of the most difficult decks to pilot in any format that it is relevant in because Mm. it requires all of these niche and nuanced and, and fringe abilities or knowing how layers work or the stack interactions like it's if a magic judge was a deck it would probably be death and taxes that's what i think I agree. but yeah i think so too that's a good thing that's a good thing it just means that you know it's it's very 
it's a stickler for the details. Yeah, I think it's really good if you want to keep your rules knowledge really sharp. Yeah. Like agreed. if you've been out the game for a little bit and you just want to brush up on your rules, just play a bit of Death and Taxes because it uses mm. diff- uses the stack, it uses layers, it uses different kinds of... F- does stuff in different phases. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of moving pieces mm-hmm. for sure. Still great. Yeah. Yep. So that's it. That is Death and Taxes done for a Modern Highlights episode. Like we said at the start, if you want to see any of the deck lists or anything like that or tips and tricks, all of this is available in the show notes and you can get access to that at any Patreon tier over on patreon.com forward slash budgetmagiccast. And now we're going to go over to have a little bit of Q&A because I believe we actually have a few here, right? We have quite a few This is a bit of a stacked Q&A. Yeah. I know, right? This is great. So... The Joe Taney asks, what is on your wish list for Strixhaven and or Forgotten Realms? Any reprints, unexplored design space, new creature types? Like what, what are your hopes for those two? I have a couple of hopes. One I have is modal dual face cards. We know they're coming back, but what I want is I want cards that have an instant on the front and a sorcery on the back or vice versa. Ooh, that would be cool. Or a creature on the front and an instant or sorcery on the back. As if it's like their signature mm. spell or something. Like a legendary creature with a, say, legendary sorcery on the back or something. Bring them back from Dominaria. That'd be cool. That'd be really cool. That'd be cool. sweet. That'd be sweet. That would also mean that in, in constructive formats, like when you have multiple copies of something in your hand, it's not going to be dead. You know, like if yes. you have three of the same legendary creature, you can play one of them and then mm. have some sorceries or something on the back that you can cast instead. I That'd be like really that cool, idea. actually. Like changing typings altogether would be great. Mm. I like that, yeah. I guess I'm going to say this. I just want a Cavernous Souls reprint at some point. <laughs> would be fantastic. In terms of Forgotten Realms, I'm kind of interested to see what they do with that. Like, how, like I really want to see a deck of many things. Like, I don't know how it would work, but I really want to see that in Magic because that would be really cool. Okay. But no, Strixhaven looks really good. I really like the look of the commands. I think they're all powerful, but not inherently busted. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the Boros one's probably my favourite one for now because the artwork has a scroll with lasers on it and... I'm all about that, to be honest. Yeah, that Gatling scroll looks pretty cool. <laughs> I'm obviously nerding out real hard about the Prismari <laughs> Command one. But yeah, I'm not surprised. Know, I've, I've already talked about this and I've... You can go back and look at the VOD from, from last night's uh, live stream if <laughs> yeah. you want to see my tinfoil hat theory on how Phoenix is going to be revived from the ashes in Pioneer and possibly even Modern because of that one card. But I'll leave that to one side for a minute. I do actually that's, have one or two. It is. I do actually have one or two other things that I would like to see in these sets. Sure. First of all, in Forgotten Realms, I want to see adventures come back. Yes, Agreed. it just seems like adventure. such a such a good place to put them. Put mm. them in Forgotten Realms. You're going on quests. You're going on adventures and so on. Like that's just mm. brilliant, brilliant. I, uh, I also want to see more party matters cards as well, like they had in Zendikar Rising. I figured we probably would see quite a few of them. Yeah, that'd yeah, be, nice. be quite nice. Uh, I also want to see an equipment. I want to see the Vorpal Blade. That would be badass. I don't know mm. how you can make that without making it basically better than GTA, but we'll worry about that later. They're the things that I would want to see for now. I know that I have a couple other things in my head somewhere. I've lost them somewhere in the in the deep recesses <laughs> of my mind of other things that I want to see in the sets. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think I think that's a good good starting point. Some adventures, some modal dual face sorceries and stuff. Yeah, that'd be sweet. Yep. So. Quinlan also said something similar, so I'll tie in the question with the last one. Sure. Um, they asked, what is your opinion on the double-faced cards now that we've gotten a few more? Do you think they'll be in every set? And we've already answered the question about what variations we want to see, mm-hmm. because we want to see a, a split of creatures and spells. I kind of want to see all of the variations. I want to see mm. creature land, uh, creature sorcery, creature instant, equipment creature. We've seen all of these so far, I believe. Uh, yes. Except for the except for the sorcery one, we saw creature vehicle. Um, like I just want to see all of them. I want to I want to see something of enchantment. I don't think we've had an enchantment yeah. one yet. Yeah, I could see that. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I basically just want to see all of them. And my opinion on them has gone from they are amazing to they are really amazing. They're some of the yeah. best designs that I've seen in Magic ever, ever. It, they're Great. so good. They're so well done. Big I fan. love them. Um, so next up, we have Evie the Mage, who comes in with their, their weekly tweet on uh, on Stonks. Um, and they say, with this week's ban, uh, Prowise seems in a really sweet spot in Modern, and Light Up the Stage is only 50 cents. So for two bucks, you can get a really powerful red draw spell in that deck. They also ask, uh, also with Pioneer becoming quote-unquote fair, mm-hmm. again, do you see the Cavalcade Burn deck being a thing in the format? Ooh. The strategy seems powerful in a new meta. Um. 
I don't know. I don't know. My my main issue with Cavalcade Burn, for those that don't know, Cavalcade Burn is essentially like a, a small aggressive deck where there's a lot of one power creatures, and Cavalcade of Calamity is one in a red that's enchantment that says whenever uh, a creature with power one uh, or less attacks, it deals one damage to target opponent or player or whatever it is. Yeah. And while I think it is really sweet, I think the main problem that that, that deck has is it is missing copies 5 to 8 of Cavalcade of Calamity. Like, if you draw Cavalcade, the game's going to be over in, like, two turns, and that's amazing. Mm -hmm. However, if you don't, your creatures size up so poorly against everything else in the format. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I don't know. Like, if it's something that you like, and you've gotten a lot of reps in and you're good with, as always, if you know it inside out, play it, it'll be great. You're going to have a great time, you're going to win some games. Personally, I would sooner just go with a regular red deck where every card that I draw off the top is going to be probably three damage or something similar to the face. But yeah, I mean, like if that's something that sort of stands to you as something you want to do, then yeah, I can see it working. Yeah. Mm, Yeah, definitely. That Diff TCG tweeted us to let us know that since Pioneer got some bans, and I'll be honest, I was surprised there was more bans in Pioneer Mm. than just Uro. There's been a couple of good 5-0s in the, uh, in the uh, deck dumps, and all of them seem to be quite budget. So I'll put oh. these in the show notes so you can see. Mm-hmm. So there's one that you're quite fond of. So there's a Mono Blue Tempo deck, oh, yeah, um, baby. which is about $30. around your Tempest Gins and, you, and your Siren Storm Tamers and your Spectral Sailors. Beautiful. Ops and Spell Piercers. And then you've got like Mono Green Aggro, because it's run nice. stuff like Golta. It's got Steel Leaf Champion. It's got your eight Dorks, just as a, as a sort good. of you know, a good baseline. And then you got the one that I care about deeply, which is Mono White. Oh, This is like $40. It's got stuff like Deck and Stone. It's got Luminar Casperant, which has been really, really good. I've been nice. really impressed with this card. It's got our favorite cards, Raven Inspector, Soldier Pantheon, and it's just like Mono White Humans, and it's just turned sideways. And all of these 5-0'd, which is really, really good sign for the format that people are playing it again, and cheap decks are doing well. So let's hope it continues. Yep. Nice to notice as well that all three of those decks are just different versions of aggression, which is, as always, a really, really good choice in a brand new Shake It Up metagame. And yeah, if if you're into aggressive strategies and stuff now, Pioneer is the home for you for the next couple of weeks, at least, because as that TCG has put across there is they are all so strong and so cheap. I might have to play this one a white one in the league. I'm going to be honest because it's got it's got venerated Loxodon in it as well, and that's just an obligation at this point. Your your pet card is venerated Loxodon and minus spell piece. Yep. What kind of weird combination is this? <laughs> they don't go in the same deck either. Um, <laughs> and lastly, we have a question from Crows Are Black. They just listened to the episode on Mono, Mono Red Prowess in Modern, nice. and they love the episode all round. But they do have a couple of questions. Sure. Firstly, do you see Burgi making an impact in this deck in modern, uh, like free cantrips, that kind of thing. Um, maybe I like I can see her in like the sideboard for maybe grindier matchups and that kind of thing mm. because you are already able to have a pretty reasonable game against the fairer decks like mm. Jund and that kind of thing because you are putting pressure on and you are able to double spell quicker than they can. And generally speaking, when it comes to more mid-rangey kind of things, the sooner you can double spell, the sooner you're going to be able to create a bigger gap between yourself and your opponent in terms mm. of win percentage uh, for that game. So I think Bergy would be very, very good for that kind of thing, especially if it gets into a very long game and you're starting to top deck and you can use any dead draws you can discard to Bergy's horn on the back and get two cards out of it. So you're essentially getting like a light up the stage in exchange for discarding a card. That's also really sweet. I don't think it can be used in the same kind of way that like Runaway Steamkin is used, mostly because Runaway Steamkin is a perfect setup if you want to use it on turn two and then have an absolutely bananas turn three. The difference is Bergy comes down on turn three and then you might have a bananas turn four. So I think it's a turn too slow to try and make it really, really almost unfair of a turn like you, you i don't think you're looking for an explosive turn from her in this deck but 
but I think rather she will just generate the ability for you to double spell quicker yeah. and that kind of thing. Sure. And they have a second question. Would you include Brogy in a prowess build for Historic on Arena? Would you keep it to mono red? Or would you splash blue and include things like Fairy Dragon or Storming Entity? I haven't looked at Historic yet, so I don't think I can really answer this one because it's on my list of things to do and my new job is to explore Historic. And mm. I feel like mono red's just good anyway. But... Yeah, I'm not huge on Historic either. However, one thing that I have been meaning to look up is actually close to a Monterey Prowess kind of build because you now have Soulscar Mage and there was... I just actually linked yourself there, Emma, a little while ago, the most recent modern league results and there were three different versions of Monterey Prowess and one of them was very creature-heavy and it had four Monastery Swift Spear, four uh, Soulscar Mage, four Bone Crusher Giant... And similar kind of things. Now, Bone Crusher Giant, not a very unusual one to see in there, but one that was very unusual that I saw, and it's in Historic as well, and that's Heartfire Immolator from, I think it was M21. Oh, yes, I remember that one. One and a red for a 2-2 mm. two, two with Prowess, and I think it's you can pay one and sacrifice it to deal damage to a creature equal to the Heartfire Immolator's power. And that's really cool. Like, I want to try and build a Monterey Prowess because all of the cards that I've mentioned there, except for Monastery Swift Spear, are all legal and historic as well. And it's only a matter of time, let's be real, before Swift Spear is there too. So, yeah, yeah. I kind of like that idea. I will always say that adding blue will improve nearly every deck, though that is, like, <laughs> that's not me being biased. That's actually pretty true for the most part, you know. But uh, I personally love... Sprite Dragon and Storming Entity, so I will definitely advocate for their inclusion as well. Um, but Bergy mm. can be interesting in that as well. I think for the same reasons that I just gave for Modern. Like, I think I don't think you're looking to have a broken turn, but it will certainly help in Historic to reduce the problem of having fewer one-mana spells at your disposal. So I think Bergy might actually weirdly be in a better spot in the Izzet version because you can run more cheap spells yes. because you have a choice between the yeah. spells from two colors. It's a weird one. Bergy's a weird one. We love her anyway. Very unusual card, but very powerful if you mm. can get it right. Like I, I picked up a set because you know I kind of I might build your mono red storm deck soon just for, for fun. <laughs> cause it's, it looks so sweet. <laughs> yeah. Well, worth pointing out that we now no longer have Simeon Spirit Guide in that deck. Just FYI. That's true. That's a good point. I still play it though. Um, I might not win, but I'm going to have fun. So because yep. fun tier is the best here in in Magic. So tier fun is greater than tier one. <laughs> that should be our byline. Thank you for listening to us here at the BMcast, and a special thanks to our patrons. At the Cheering Fanatic tier, we have Aleandro, Kilgore Trout 503, Max Makes Magic, Odin Egan, Philippe Delmot, The Jess Guy, The Joe Cheney, Bradley Rose, Stephanie Pace, Ian Holland, and The Pauper Guild. And at the Stonks tier, we have Anga Orr, Scott Creech, Simon Grip, Brian Madden, Ryan Collins, Nerblin, Everett Brogan, Dahi Carroll, and Tom Telford. Thank you all for helping to keep this podcast in the air. We can't thank you enough. If you want to support us and add your name to this list of wonderful people, head on over to patreon.com forward slash budgetmagiccast. If you have any questions, comments, or sweet brews, you can email us at budgetmagiccast at gmail.com or message us on Twitter at the BMcast. We'll be back next week to give you even more bang for your buck.